At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We eagerly wait with anticipation for the return of Jesus, when He will make everything wrong right. In a way, He's always reigned over all things, but on the other hand, His saving grace has received pushback and rejection from the evil of this world. Join us in our new series, Thy Kingdom Come, His Reign in Our Lives where we'll learn what the reign of Jesus truly means for us believers and how we, as the body of Christ, can continue spreading his name until he returns. Father, it's in that goodness that we step into now hearing from your word. Believing that if you are good, then your words are good. And Lord, it's good for us to form our life around them. So Lord, be with us as we hear what you have to say from the life of your son, Jesus. God in human flesh, incarnate, lived among us so that we can can understand and we can know the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Teach us today, and we'll give you praise for the fruit that comes as we follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Thank you for singing with us. And thank you, team, for leading us in worship today. Thank you also for many of you who have really been prayerfully considering how you can Uh, partner with God in a need that we have here as a church. As I mentioned, the joy of gathering together is that we can fulfill those one another commands in Scripture, and one of them is to care for one another, to bear one another's burdens. And um, here at Woodside and Woodside Algonac, we have a deacon's fund. We call it deacon's fund because deacon means servant, so it's a servant fund uh, that stores money so we're ready to help one another in time of need. Um, it's one of the principles in Scripture, even if you see it in 1 Corinthians 16, where the church of Jerusalem was suffering and Paul encourages the church of Corinth, every week when you gather for worship, set aside a portion of money as God has blessed you so that when the need comes, when it's time to now deliver gifts to the famine, the the church that's experiencing famine, we're ready to do that. And it's, it's that principle of readiness. It's the principle of steadiness that as a church wants to care for the needs of one another, we do that faithfully so we're ready when the need comes. So anyway, we've, um, we've done that faithfully since our beginning uh, six years ago as a church. Um, and God's always met those needs. And we found here recently over these past few months that the needs have increased in our community. I don't know if you're noticing that, that the economy and the, the struggles in our economy are catching up to, uh, to folks and families and so we've come alongside of some families, and, and what once was a storehouse ready to care for people, uh, we've been able to use that storehouse to meet those needs, but now the storehouse is, is pretty empty. Uh, so we've been encouraging us as a church to consider how we can give over and above our regular giving towards the deacon's fund so that we're always ready. Um, and so what we've normally done as a practice, we've placed giving boxes right under our giving boxes, 
Um, we call that our benevolence box or our deacon box uh, or basket. And so we're going to have those out for a couple of weeks. And if you want to give over and above your regular giving towards the needs of people, just place a gift there. Or you can, if you, de- you give online, you can just designate it as deacon's fund, um, and it will go into that so that we can be ready, so we can partner with God in caring, caring for people. So thank you for doing that. Mark chapter 3. If you have your Bibles with you, we encourage you to turn there or open your devices on your Bible app to Mark chapter 3. We're starting a new series today uh, celebrating the kingdom of God as Jesus trumpeted that uh, when he came. But there is an event that happened in my lifetime way back before a number of your lifetimes, but it was during mine in that time when I was kind of emerging into adulthood and recognizing that there was something called news, um, that the newspaper wasn't simply for the comic page. There is other things, good information to know about your world. Uh, So at 19 years old, I was starting to understand the importance of knowing what's happening in our country, in our community, and in, in the world. And I watched something significant happen over the summer of 1987. On June 12th, President Ronald Reagan stepped out of Air Force One onto the soil of Berlin, Germany. This was astounding because all of my life I'd heard about the Iron Curtain Otherwise known in some sense, there's part of that was the physical structure of the Berlin Wall that separated East from West Germany. Germany was divided after World War II, as many of you know, um, with essentially, and it was much more complicated with, than this, but essentially the East uh, was ruled by USSR and became ruled, eventually ruled by the Communist Party, while West Germany... Uh, aligned with the U.S. and U.K. and France and as a capitalist republic. And so there was freedom in West Germany, and there was a communist rule with that iron hand in and, and East Germany. And during the Cold War, there was this constant tension that we felt, right? Um, well, as on, on June 12, Ronald Reagan steps off the plane, amazingly, actually under the soil of Berlin, It was unheard of. I mean, that was the capital city of Nazi Germany uh, that wreaked such havoc over the world just 40 years earlier. But on that day, after he stepped on the soil, he gave that famous speech in which he called President Mikhail Gorbachev to to do what? Do you remember? Tear down this wall. And although those were just words... It was capturing a movement that had been happening, which culminated then in that literally happening, the Berlin Wall torn down, Germany united, and it becoming a democratic country once again. So his step onto the soil of Berlin kind of in some sense was symbolic of this incredible movement that the history was remarkably Changed world events, political events were remarkably changed, and we look back as that as a symbolic moment of 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 massive change. Maybe you could say the same thing about uh, massive changes that took place in 1969, going even back further when Apollo was 11. Apollo 11 landed on the moon, uh, one giant step 
for mankind, man, uh, leap for man. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Thank you. And, and so much of our lives are, are, we utilize a number of things they learn, some of the technology, some of the products we use today, all because of that space exploration and the shifts that took place with understanding of, of, of technology. But nothing, nothing has impacted the world more 2,000 years ago, when God took on human flesh and came into our world as 100% God, 100% human, and he revealed God to us through the person of Jesus of Nazareth. When Jesus was baptized, it says in Mark uh, chapter 1, verse 15, which is a key verse of, of, of the book of Mark. It's a good verse to underline if you're into underlining your verses. Mark 1, 15 says, Jesus went then throughout Galilee preaching and proclaiming that the time is fulfilled, the gospel, the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So Jesus came to proclaim that God's kingdom had come to earth. And he, as the rightful king, was representing it. So that's going to be our series over these next few weeks, uh, recognizing what is the kingdom of God that Jesus came proclaiming and ushering in as he entered our world. Much more significant than June 12, 1987. Much more significant than 1969, when Jesus changed everything. Everything. And we're going to be looking at his kingdom to, to ask, okay, so how should that impact our lives today? If his kingdom is at hand, how should that change my life now? So Mark chapter 3, verse 7 begins to give a summary. We're going to just kind of plop into this one place uh, over these few chapters in Mark chapter 3 in our series. But chapter, or verse 7 of chapter 3 gives a summary of Jesus' ministry up to this point. Let me read that for you. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. So to this point, Jesus had been baptized. He began preaching his gospel. People began to come alongside of him. And he took his disciples. They went to the sea because it was just so crazy. <laughs> so he went to the sea to kind of get away, to get quiet, kind of... Coming to Algonac is what we do. The city's getting too crazy, right? So let's move out to, out to the woods a bit, out by the water. That's what Jesus did with his disciples. And a great cloud, crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Adumia and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard of all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them, the demons, not to make him known. Interesting way. His ministry is described. His arrival is like it sent shockwaves 
both throughout the human realm as well as the spiritual realm. People came from all over, from hundreds of miles in every direction. They came to hear him and to, maybe he would touch them and heal them of their diseases. Demons that were oppressing people and causing maybe some of those diseases, causing the heartache and the disruption into healthy life. They submitted before him and confessed him and his identity as the son of God. And Jesus says, nope, you can't make that known yet. The world isn't ready fully for that, for that revelation. But all this happened because Jesus began to undo the effects of sin. Right? Sin and death and disease and division. Jesus began to peel some of that back and people noticed this is something significant. We could say, which is our kind of a big idea for today, Jesus' reign brought heaven to earth. This is what Jesus was doing when he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's saying, I'm bringing what is true in heaven down to earth. I'm, I'm bringing what was always God's intention for his image bearers. I'm bringing that down. God never intended for our human existence to deal with sickness and disease and division and hatred and, and, conf and, and oh, conflict is a good thing. And and and. Uh, arguments and, and all those things that seem to bring such pain. Jesus brings, pushes that back to say, no, there's something better that God in, had intended for you. And there were lots of people that came to find out. Maybe lots of motives, right? It seems like there was lots of people in the crowd that came just because, wow, this is a cool thing. Never seen this before. I want to see it for myself. Or some, most liked it at this point. So yeah, I want to go. Maybe I can get some of the good stuff for me because our family has problems, right? How many families here have problems? See your hand? All right, half of you have problems. The rest of you, man, I want to spend more time with you. We all do, right? We all have struggles and problems. And to think that here's somebody that can come and address some of those things. I want in. But it seems that even though Jesus seems very happy to provide these expressions of kingdom to them, we see him beginning to express his interest in not simply creating fans of the kingdom or fans even of the king, but followers. We see as he begins his ministry, it caught the attention of so many, and then Jesus began to reach into that many to say, no, really, who's in? Not who wants some of this, but who is in for the kingdom? And as we look at the following verses, we're going to look at verse 13 to 19 this morning. We see Jesus begin to call his disciples to himself. And we're going to be asking this question, what is distinct about being a follower of Jesus? What are some of those characteristics that are, that are in this text, that in this description, that cause us to see, am I, to, cause us to ask, am I a follower? Am I just a spectator? Am I a disciple? Or am I just an observer? Three things. First of all, verse 13, I'll read that for you. Verse 13. It says, Jesus went up on the mountain 
And he called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. He went up on the mountain, called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. First of all, we see in disciples, in that call to discipleship, is that Jesus calls his followers out of the crowd. He calls his followers out of the crowd. Remember, Jesus has withdrawn from the city because it was too crazy in that region as the crowd began to grow, but the crowd followed him out there. Everybody else moved to Algonac too. And now it's a busy metropolis kind of idea, right? So what's he do? Well, let's go up to the mountain. Not only get away from the city, but now let's get away from the village and let's go up to the mountain. I think I was on that mountain last, last April. This spectacular place overlooking Tiberias and Capernaum and the entire Sea of Galilee. And if that's where truly where Jesus was, it is away. It is away from the hustle and the bustle and the crowd and the, the chaos and the, the economy of that region, the fishing economy. It was, it's in a remote place, a beautiful place. And that's where he calls his followers. He calls them to step away from the crowd of its simple admirers. The crowd at this point, like Jesus, they were impressed by him. They liked what they could do for him. But now Jesus begins to draw the people to him who would passionately and devotedly walk with him. This, in fact, would be what Jesus would want to do and what he continues to do today. Jesus isn't about just gathering big crowds or establishing mega churches around communities. He's, he's, that, that doesn't impress him, nor does that motivate him. What, what G, the passion of Jesus is to call people to be disciples, to be followers of him. And to be a follower means that you come out of the crowd, out of the ordinary, and into a high calling. Into not just observing what Jesus does, but actually following in what he calls us to do. Years later, Peter, one of these guys that went with him up to the mountain, would write a letter, a general letter to Christians scattered around. It was called 1 Peter, and he wrote 1 and 2 Peter. 1 Peter, in chapter 2 and verse 9, he says this, You are a chosen race. He's not speaking to the other 12 or the 11 of the 12, he's speaking to all those that were placing their faith in Jesus. He said to this, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Peter says, just so you know who we are, if we're really going to follow Jesus, we are people that are called out. It's, the church is another name for the church is, that are defined is that called out assembly, an assembly of people that have been called out from the ordinary to follow the extraordinary, to follow Jesus. Maybe you've experienced something like this before in kind of an, another realm being called out of just the ordinary into something maybe extraordinary. When I was a sophomore in college, I was 
very content to just fit in the crowd, get my degree, get on with life. When one of the deans apparently saw something in me and he came to me and he said, I have some things I'd love for you to join with me in doing. And so that began this, this time that was, I had to carve out of my life to, to be a part of these projects. And, and that became this, and that became this. And, and pretty soon I realized, I'm going to have to decide. Am I just going to be part of all of the mass and do this? Or am I going to step into something that I'm being asked to do that will require a great deal of energy and time? And it was interesting as now as I look back on my saying yes to that, that those activities and that, those responsibilities I was given did more to prepare me for ministry than any class that I took. Because it's a place where I'm now activating all the things that I'm learning about shepherding and leading and applying the word of God in a realm where it requires practical application. So I had to step out of the ordinary and step into a responsibility. And in a sense, that's what Jesus is calling his disciples to. The great crowd was following him. It wasn't necessarily changing an eternal destiny in their life. But Jesus withdrew and said to some, Come, come with me up to the mountain. Out of the ordinary, out of the, out of the normal, out of the crowd. Maybe, maybe all this is a reflection of what Jesus calls to all of us to step away from being just consumed by trivial things of life. And maybe that's, that's part of discipleship. Am I, am I willing to step away from what all the rest of the world says is important? You know, gathering stuff, filling my pole barn with, with toys or tools. Or whether it's climbing a ladder so that I have more significance in some profession somewhere. Or, or, or instead of ex just going throughout and just experiencing all these things and piling up all these experiences. And it used to be collect postcards and now, now it's, it's collect posts on my, my social media, right? It, it, so, so that somehow maybe I'll feel satisfied and we realize that none of that satisfies. And Jesus says, no, it never, never intended to. Oh, I gave you a job to do because I want you to partner with me in working creation. So yes, do a good work on your job, but that's never supposed to fully satisfy you. Oh yeah, experience the world. I've created it with, with beauty and splendor so that you can be in awe of me. But it was never intended to fully satisfy. No, I want, I want you to step away from those things and come to me. Come away from the crowd. Be done with the trivial. Be done with the destructive. Instead of being caught up like most of the world does in this idea that if you don't agree with something that I hold true, then I'm going to separate myself from you and I'm going to call you my enemy. That's what the world's doing now. You've noticed that, right? And Christians have gotten caught in that just as much as any of the rest of the world where we're creating these walls and say, I can't have dinner with you because of this one thing I disagree with you about. Oh, come on, folks. Where Jesus says, no, you love one another as I have loved you. You're patient with one another. You forgive one another. You express grace to one another. And so those destructions of division, we step away from that. We, we step out of the crowd that gets caught up in that. 
the coping mechanisms we have available to us today to whether drown out our sorrows or cause us to think that it'll just help me feel more peaceful. It'll make me feel better. And God says, no, that's my, that's my Holy Spirit. That's what he does. So come to me. Let me give you my Holy Spirit. Step out of the crowd and your coping mechanisms that really will eventually take you to a darker place instead of a brighter place. Caught up in the world that says, well, actually, a lifelong commitment is not necessary to a sexual relationship, right? It's just, just, it's just a compartmentalizing ourselves, and so, so we just enjoy this part of it and don't take it so seriously. And God says, wait a second, I've created you as humans separate from the animal kingdom. You're not animals. I've created you with this incredible joy of experiencing some of the splendor of an eternal commitment like the Trinity has. And I've intended for you to enjoy that physical intimacy in that permanent public commitment to one another. So come out of the crowd. I know what the rest of the world is saying, but that's not what I'm calling you to. Come out of the crowd to something higher, something extraordinary. That's being a follower. The second mark of disciples we see in the next verse where Not only does he call us out of the crowd, he calls us to himself. Out of a crowd, to himself. Mark 3.14 says, He appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him. Eventually he'll call them apostles. That'll come later. The word apostle means sent ones. right? So in his plan was this idea to send these special twelve out as his ambassadors, but right now he's calling them to himself. They needed to learn to be with him before they learned to do for him. It's a model in many spheres of our life today. I know we've got several electricians in the house, and they would describe for you the apprentice electrician is somebody that wants to begin in that trade, but they have to work under a journeyman, if I, if I understand it right. I'm not an electrician, so I don't know exactly. But I understand, right, that this, this apprentice has to put in hours of time under a journeyman, working under, under his tutelage, not only getting the information from a textbook about how electricity works, but also working alongside of a person to learn how to actually do this in real life time. Medical field has a very similar thing, right? You go to undergrad, and, and then you go get approved to med school, and then you learn so many things in your classes. But then after med school, you need to experience a residency, right? Be, to work alongside of doctors to learn not simply textbook answers, but how to truly work in real life situations. Because it's the practical working under one another, to move from simply information to what some would say, imitation. I'm not just understanding facts. I'm watching how they work out by someone who has mastered the craft. And that's what Jesus does here. He says, it's not simply a time where I'm going to give you a textbook. You have textbooks. You have the Old Testament prophets. You have the rabbinical schools that you could attend. But now you have God in the flesh. So you can come alongside of Jesus and you can watch him and learn from him by being 
with him because it's not simply the information you need. It's a transformation of the heart. So what is a follower of Jesus beyond a fan? It's someone that is, receives his invitation to actually come alongside of him, to be with him. And as I think of our church, I know we have so many that are very active in doing ministry. At 9.30, every Sunday morning, we gather in a circle out here, and our greeters and our worship team and our, our hospitality team and our safety team all comes together, and there's oftentimes a great big circle, and I'm so amazed that there's so many people using their gifts simply on a Sunday morning. That doesn't include life group leaders and, and um, student ministry volunteers and some of our outreach team. You know, that's, this is just a small section of it. You add all those together, and wow, the percentage of people that are doing things for Jesus here is incredible. But if we serve him in any way other than out of being with him, Fruit will be greatly limited. Our passion will eventually wilt and die. Because the priority of being a follower of Jesus, a disciple, is being with him. Remember the story of Mary and Martha? Remember that Jesus uh, visits the city of Bethlehem or Bethany? Luke 10 records the time when when Martha and Mary had this home and they invited him in uh, to his home. It says, a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listens to his teaching. Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. It's the good portion, the one thing, that is to be with Jesus. He doesn't say, Martha, we don't need food. He doesn't say that. He just says, but if you, if you only serve with, and neglect being with me, That'll never be sustainable. That's never what I've designed for those who desire to live in my kingdom. The best thing about the kingdom is the king. And so you'll find joy in the kingdom when you're spending time with the king. Maybe it's a good time for some of us to check our priorities, to consider if we're prioritizing spiritual activity for God over that communion with God. That maybe our many activities are, are outpacing our time of spending time with him. Maybe, our, maybe our, those that even have regular time in the word, it's become simply a rote activity. Well, it's better than not having it, but I wonder if maybe this is a time for us to, to reconsider. Am I simply doing an activity or am I seeking to be with him? Am I listening to him? Am I spending time communicating with him in my prayer? Because see, it's great to serve him. And many of you experience the joy of serving him in so many different ways. But that'll come and go. 
If you're not abiding in the vine, we cannot produce fruit. So a distinguishing mark of a follower of Jesus is, one, you're called out of the crowd. Two, you're called to be with Jesus. And then third this morning, I want us to notice that we're also given authority by the master. That the king shares his authority with those that come to him. Verse 14 continues like this. And he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Bonerges, that is, the sons of thunder, Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. His desire was to send them to preach and have authority. So there was a mission to participate in. It wasn't simply this passive come alongside of Jesus without a sense of responsibility. No, it's, it's I fulfill a responsibility out of that time with Jesus. He invites us to him and sends us for him. Back to Peter's challenge later in 1 Peter 2.19 where he says that God has called you to himself so that you may proclaim the excellencies of the knowledge of Christ. We're given authority to do that. Peter and John, interestingly, were described by their opponents later on after Jesus' ascension. Described by their opponents as clearly having been with Jesus. Do you remember that? They were put on trial and they kind of in a negative intention said, I can tell these guys have been with Jesus. I mean, how terrible is that? Right? Wouldn't you like that? For someone to say to you, you know what, you know what bugs me about him? I can tell he's, he's been with Jesus. Like, yes, dream come true. <laughs> they intended it as a criticism. They said, we can tell you've been with Jesus. You better not talk about him anymore. And do you remember their response? They said, we, we can't help but speak of him. We can't, we can't help but speak of the things that we saw him do. It just exudes from us. And that's what God desires for his followers. Spending time with him so that you can't help but serve in his mission. And it's interesting that it's serving with authority. Later on, Jesus would say at his ascension, he would say, all authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Now go and make disciples. It's his way of saying, authority is given to me. I'm sharing it with you. So now you have the power to do it. So go. Go in that authority and, and go do this. So in other words, when we serve Jesus, it's not simply serving with human efforts. It's not like now we share an opinion of what we think about something. Right? It's different than, you know, I, I, I think Walgreens is better because their products are really good. And somebody else says, okay, but I think CVS is better because their prices are good. And somebody else says, you know, at Kroger, you can get your prescription and groceries. That's why I do it there. Everybody's got their opinion. Everybody has some validity to it. That's not how it is with followers of Jesus. He says, my authority I give to you, one, this is truth. 
Two, you have the Holy Spirit who's been given to you who will empower your witness to the ends of the age. As followers of Jesus, we walk under the authority of the king. We don't have simply the responsibility to convince people of Jesus. We simply have the responsibility to represent Jesus and to share the witness of what Jesus has done in our life. It's the, it's the power of God that does any transformation. Now, some would say at this point, they'd say, wait, wait a second. I read that verse 14 through 19, and I see the list of people that were told this. There's 12, and my name's not on there. So is it really my responsibility? Isn't that like up to the 12? And maybe those that came, maybe this is for the, like the exceptional people that have been given a special job and responsibility. Maybe this is like for the pastor. Or maybe this is for the church leaders, or this is for missionaries, but I'm not on that list. Look, look at our room. There's only one guy proclaiming. Isn't that how it's supposed to be? Well, a couple of things. One, recognize that all 12 of those guys were just ordinary, ill-equipped in their, of their, in their own state ill-equipped for this task. There's no superheroes among them. In fact, probably the most qualified, some have told us as they look at occupation and background and things, probably the most qualified was Judas Iscariot. And how did that turn out? So these were just ordinary guys just fulfilling the call of Jesus to come out of the crowd, learn from him, and then be sent under his authority. And then none of them thought it was only just for them. Thus, Peter, writing to the church, saying that you are a chosen people, a people of God's possession, to proclaim his excellencies and the knowledge of him. Peter saying to the church, that's all of our job to do that. Later on in chapter 3 and verse 15, he says, In your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that's in you with gentleness and respect. So he's saying that's what we all do. We all need to be ready to share Jesus and the opportunities that he gives to us, to consider what's God's call on my particular life. Because all of us, if we're a disciple of Jesus, if we're a follower, we are sent on mission. Each the unique call, but all called to proclaim his goodness to the world. Philip wasn't one of the 12, but he assumed it was his responsibility. So he goes throughout Samaria and, and shares the gospel and demonstrates this authority over the, over the demons and over other things, false truth that shackled people. He took the message to the Ethiopian eunuch that was on the, on the, the road, wondering how in the world am I supposed to understand this? Lydia assumed it was for her as the first convert of Europe as she spreads the name of Jesus throughout the city of Philippi. This challenge was not simply for a select few, but for all disciples. So the question we face this morning is, okay, 
If a true follower of Jesus is called out of the crowd, have I ever taken that, that decision in my heart to say, okay, I'm done with the ordinary. I want God to do something special, both in transforming me. So, so I move away from this idea that, well, I'm just, I'll just continue to do what I am, but now I have Jesus too. Have I accepted this call to kind of step out of the ordinary and into a special call to be his follower? Secondly, have you accepted his call to himself? Do you have that faithful time where you're in his word, where you're spending time with him? Whether it's at night at the end of your day or in the morning as you start your day or it's throughout your day, you're thinking of the king who is your true reigning authority in your life. Are you spending time with him? And then third, have you truly embraced the call that actually God's called me to represent him? Now, some are called to be on a teaching platform for others. Sure, if God's called you to that, don't hold back. Some have called, been called to serve in the quiets, in the private times, in the, in the family spaces, and in friendship spaces. But are you representing him? both how you live and the stories you tell and the work that God's done in your life? Are you making him famous by the way you've lived? The kingdom of God is at hand. That's what Jesus said. That has incredible impact on our lives today. It changes the course of history, not just for Christianity in a global sense, but the reality and the call of Christ in a personal sense. Have you accepted his call? Let's pray. Lord, we, we know that our tendency is to just get caught up and be like everyone around us. But Lord, your world, word has made it clear that, that there's something special you call us to. If you've called us as your children, then it's a different kind of life. It's a different way to live. It's different values. It's different behaviors. And Lord, I pray that we would be found faithful to follow you anywhere. That no matter where you call us, Lord, we would say yes to you. And I know there's a whole lot of clarity that needs to come when we consider what that looks like in our own lives. But Lord, I pray it begins by our saying to you, Lord, I will follow you anywhere you lead me. We will be your followers, your disciples. This is our prayer. Be with us as we personally process all this, Lord, as we consider your call in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand together. There's this great song we've sung before, but I hope that as we sing it, it will be a message from our heart, that message that says, I will truly follow you wherever you lead. Let's sing. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.